we have been dealing with the issue of restoration, finding connection, finding uh, our way back to who we were supposed to be. And uh, as we began, we looked in Genesis chapter 2, and, and two of the main points that we pointed out there was restoration means we were intended to be in fellowship, intense, intimate fellowship with God, but also fellowship with um, each other. And, and one of the aspects of being in relationship with each other, one of the things that, that comes to mind uh, in that particular uh, circumstance, situation, is the issue of mediation. That is, sometimes we are called to intervene when we see two of our brothers or two of our sisters uh, at odds with each other. Sometimes we're called to step into that relationship and to to be the instrument that God uses to, to bring those two parties back together. And that's what I want to look at this morning in terms of our role of, of intercession, our role of mediation when relationships are broken uh, with those around us. And so for that, I would invite you to join me in the book of Philemon. Okay, It's not a book that you probably have heard a lot of sermons out of, um, but it is a book that is uh, significant. I think it's a book that's important in terms of understanding the process of intercession. It is a unique opportunity to see a personal letter of Paul's. We see a lot of letters that Paul has written to churches, obviously. That's a, the majority of the New Testament. But we don't have many, uh, in fact, some would argue this is the only one, personal letters of his, where he is writing simply from one person to another, to, to interact with them on, on that kind of level. Now, why do we have a personal letter of Paul's? What sets this one apart? I'll answer that toward the end of the message this morning, but I want us to, to keep in mind that what is happening here is, um, is intercession. It's mediation between two individuals, Philemon and Onesimus. Uh, Philemon is the one who is receiving the letter. Onesimus is the cause for the letter. Onesimus was a slave who had run away, uh, who had belonged to Philemon, uh, but had run away, uh, perhaps because he had heard Paul's message, perhaps because of uh, uh, just the desire for freedom. We're not really sure what his motivation was, but in any case, he has ended up with Paul uh, some uh, distance away from home, and Paul is writing this letter to mediate between Philemon and Onesimus. And so let's look at it this morning. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing. It take, It's just one page, so um, I think we can handle that. Um, just follow along with me in your Bible. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to uh, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers, because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have a great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have a great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, 
I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends you greetings, as, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the gift of this letter. We thank you for the gift of your word. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would uh, minister to us, help us to understand and see exactly what you would have us understand and see about this passage, about this text. God, help us to be individuals who are um, involved in reconciliation on our own basis, but also who are stepping in when appropriate and when right to, to see um, connections renewed, to see uh, relationships restored. Lord, help us to be the people that uh, you've called us to be. It's in Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. So as Paul writes this letter to Philemon, he is dealing with a situation, uh, probably a result of debt slavery, where Onesimus has gone into debt somewhere along the way, or perhaps his parents went into debt. We don't really know. Somebody is in debt, and therefore he has been a slave to Philemon. And in the process of this situation, in the process of this relationship, Onesimus has run away. And this has caused some amount of difficulty in the Roman culture for Philemon, because Philemon would have been viewed in terms of, of shame. He would have been blamed for the departure of Onesimus. He might have been viewed as a harsh or a cruel master in their culture, or at least a foolish one. Uh, because of what has happened. He has been personally wounded by this choice of Onesimus to run away. And Paul here writes, and he says, during Onesimus' time with me, he has come to Christ. And because of that, I'm sending him back. And I want you, Philemon, to welcome him back. I want this relationship to be restored. In fact, I want this relationship to be more than it was before. Not to accept him back just as a slave, not to accept him back just because I've asked you to, but to accept him back as a brother in Christ. And we see some wisdom here on Paul's part and some insights here on Paul's part that we ourselves can use in terms of interceding for people. And the first thing I think we see is that, that our call to intercession is both personal and corporate. 
That is, Christ expects us to intercede, to, to mediate between people who are separated, both because of our personal investment in them, which is clear between Paul and the other two individuals here, but also because of our corporate relationship with them. We as a church are a family. We as a church are connected. We're more than family, in fact. Paul describes us as a body. And parts of your body cannot compete with each other and the body remain healthy. Therefore, we are called corporately to intervene. You see that here with Paul's uh, introduction. He's writing to Philemon. The letter's almost completely uh, without question to Philemon, but he also mentions who? He mentions Aphia, Archippus, uh, Archippus, and then the church that meets in your home. In other words, Paul is communicating there right at the start that this isn't just about you, Philemon, and Onesimus. This is about a greater work. This is about a connection to, uh, to the church and who the church is. Now, one of the dangers, one of the fears I think we have when we start talking about mediating is the great question, what business is it of yours? Or who asked you anyway? Okay. I know there have been times where I've sought to mediate, to intercede on behalf of members or on behalf of friends who had uh, gotten at odds, and, and I've heard that sentence. I've heard that statement. What business is it of yours anyway? Why are you even involved in this? This is between me and them. In the church, there is nothing that's simply between two individuals. It affects everybody. It affects our witness. It affects our connection. It affects our, our ministry. It affects our ability to fellowship and to worship together with sincerity, which is what Christ calls us to. And so, yes, there is a chance that you might hear that. There is a chance that that might come out, but there is a responsibility that's greater than that chance that calls us to such intercession. There is a cost to doing nothing. To do nothing is to, is to leave the situation to where it might grow, to where it might expand, to where it is going to influence and affect us in not just a spiritual level, but a physical level. And so we need to be a people who are willing to step out and mediate, to intercede, to, to intervene when such situations. As we do that, we need to remember and focus on the fact that it is a grace-centered endeavor. That is, our motivation for doing it, our, our ability to do it, is driven by the whole concept of grace. This letter here is centered on the gospel. Notice how many times Paul uses the phrase, in Christ or in the Lord, in this, in this letter. It's not just about him. It, it's centered on this idea of what God has done and what God continues to do and God, what, what God wants to do in these circumstances. And Paul is anticipating a new relationship here. He's anticipating a new connection between Philemon and Onesimus here. He's, 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 he's seen something beyond what was there before. And that's built upon what? His radical understanding of what the gospel can do for everyone. What can the gospel do? What does the grace do to our lives? Grace is total. It is real. It is practical. And we need to have that mindset, that perspective of grace. We, we see that it's total here. When Paul starts and he, he talks in verse 6 about uh, participating in the faith, participating in this connection, the word for 
participation there is koinonia. Okay, fellowship in the faith, connection in the faith. That is that there's something um, significant here about what connects us. The grace that we've experienced in Christ connects us in a way that's beyond just uh, social connections. That's beyond just the things that we sometimes lean on. He, he talks about how uh, Onesimus was, was, is, is his son. He says, I'm his father. And he says he was birthed in my bonds. That, that's, that's what? That's a connection of the new birth. And Paul's saying because of this grace, because of this reality, because of Onesimus' standing and your standing in Christ, there is this totality of connection that must be present. Grace is also real. Philemon, he starts his letter to Philemon with his common phrase, grace and peace. It's Paul's favorite way to start his letters. Grace and peace. The grace that situates us leads us into what? A peace with God. A status. Okay? And because of that status, because of that standing, he says what? In verse 12, I'm sending him back. I'm sending him back. Now, we need to deal with this just briefly. Why would Paul send a believer back to slavery? Is he here affirming the reality of slavery? Is that what's going on? Because this is one of the letters that was used back to try and justify slavery uh, back during the Civil War. Paul sent a slave back, so therefore slavery is all right. Is that what Paul is advocating? Is that what Paul is suggesting? No. Paul here is sending him back. What? With the great expectation that things are going to be different. And while he never overtly asks for Onesimus' freedom, he says, what? I expect you to do more than I'm actually asking. Okay. He, he says, I know in sending him back that you're going to you're going to go well beyond anything that I've stated here. That this is going to be a different relationship. That's what grace does. It is a real transformation of our circumstances, of our situation. It's not just a a, a good idea. It's not just a, a a concept. It's not as I've said before. It's not a, a holy shrug from God saying, "Oh well, I guess I'll forgive you." It is an active engagement in our circumstance that changes where we're at. And it is practical. Paul here says in, in verse 7 that this response, what it will bring much joy and comfort to you. And in verse 11, he says, once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and me. This is what grace does. It makes us into something more than we were before. And so with that as our mindset, the, the idea of what God has done for us, we then are going to do for others, as that, that is our motivation, as that is our driving force, we can step into the process of mediating. And what does that look like? Well, number one, when you're mediating, you must be an advocate for the situation, not the individual. When you're mediating, you must be an advocate for the situation, not for the individual. If you step into the process, if you step into the situation arguing for one side or the other, taking the side of, of one, you're not a mediator anymore. You've become an advocate at that point. 
And while we do need advocates at times, when we're talking about bringing people back together, what we need most is mediation. And that's what you see Paul doing here. You, you don't see him taking Onesimus' side. You don't see him taking Philemon's side. You see him trying to fix the situation, the circumstance. Second, we must be ready to take personal accountability for any wrongs that are done. If you're going to step in as a mediator, you need to be ready to take responsibility for the circumstance. What does Paul say there in verse 18? He says, if he owes you anything, put it to my account. Don't hold it against him. Put it to my account. What's Paul doing there? He's admitting, he's recognizing that he has a personal accountability in this circumstance, in this situation. And that must be part of our mindset as well. Third, we've got to focus on what God might do with the situation. Where might God go with this? What's he say there in verse 15? For perhaps this is why he was separated. Paul's already looking at, he's seeing what God is doing here. He, he's saying maybe this is part of God's work. God can certainly use it. He says, I'm confident of your obedience, verse 21, and I'm writing to you knowing that you will do even more than what I say. God can lead people to do more than we anticipate, we expect. Fourth, we need to proclaim that love is the means by which reconciliation might take place. Love is the center of this. Verse 9, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. Paul, in his position, uh, in the role that he played in Philemon's life, as the elder, he says here, he could have said, I command you as your elder, as the one who brought you to Christ, as the one who is who maintains apostolic authority, I command you to do this. But he says what? It's love that's motivating me, and it's love that must motivate you. And, and this goes back to, to Jesus' own words in John 15, verses 10 and 11. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You see, if the change grace brings is the foundation for defining human relationships, then love must be the motivation for all of our interactions, especially in the realm of broken relationships. We see this in the presence of love, the nature of love, the expressions of love advocated in Scripture. If you are a believer, you, by definition, are walking in love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. To be a believer is to be motivated by love. It's to be driven by it. It's because of its presence. But even beyond that, the nature of love drives us toward connection. 1 Corinthians 13 written primarily with the, the mindset and the concept of how can we bring this church back together. Love does not seek its own way. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what love does. 
which leads us then to the expression of love, which we see in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's one of my favorite passages because it's I, I, I am competitive by nature. Okay, I don't like to lose. But I understand from Scripture that that's not a healthy mindset a lot of times. That it's born of pride and it's born of, of different aspects like that that are not a part of who we're supposed to be as believers. But Paul here gives me a chance to be competitive and be obedient at the same time. Outdo one another in showing honor. Okay. Love each other. Lift up each other. Be competitive like that. It's a good thing. Okay. And so love motivates us. And forgiveness is the expression of that love. We must maintain a biblical view of forgiveness and guide the individuals toward it. Forgiveness matters even when the person is unrepentant, even when the person is not looking for forgiveness. We must operate from its mindset. Reinhold Niebuhr said, forgiveness is the final form of love. It's the climax of love. And we see this in the fact that forgiveness is a constant theme within Scripture. There are no less than 75 different word pictures for forgiveness in Scripture. 75 different pictures or images of what forgiveness is. Just to list a few. Forgiveness restores the purity and joy of fellowship with God. To forgive is to turn the key, open the cell door, and let the prisoner to forgive is to write in large letters across a debt, nothing owed. To forgive is to pound the gavel in a courtroom and declare not guilty. To forgive is to shoot an arrow so high and so far that it can never be found again. To forgive is to bundle up all the garbage and trash and dispose of it, leaving the house clean and fresh. To forgive is to loose the moorings of a ship and release it to the open sea. To forgive is to grant a full pardon to the condemned criminal. To forgive is to relax a stranglehold on a wrestling opponent. To forgive is to sandblast a wall of graffiti, leaving it looking like new. To forgive is to smash a clay pot into a thousand pieces so that it can never be pieced together. These are the images of forgiveness. It's a refusal to hold to account what that person has done for you. It's a releasing of their responsibility to you for what has happened. And that's what we need to move people toward. Why? Because that is what Christ has offered to us. Christ has offered to each one of us this sort of connection to God. And if our, if our goal is restoration toward relationship with God, then the result is also going to be what? Restoration toward man. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. One feeds into the other. One expresses the other. They are intertwined, interconnected. And so forgiveness is 
an expression of that. Now, if that's not enough for your uh, drive to intercede, let me kind of return to where we started, that this is a corporate idea, that this is a corporate work. And as Paul ends, he brings back in this concept that all these others, Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke and all these others, they're contributing in my letter as well. They want this for you as well. Because what Paul understands is that it's more than just that moment. It's more than just this situation. The kingdom of God is in play when we're talking about restoring people. And I mentioned at the beginning that I would tell you why I believe we have this letter. And I believe we have this letter because it represents, it shows the significance of what forgiveness can do. It represents and shows the significance of what, what mediating can do, how it can transform and change situations. And it does that by what we know of Onesimus after this. At the beginning of this letter, Onesimus is a runaway slave. He's out on the run. He's, he's, he's afraid. He doesn't know what to do. And Paul writes this letter mediating, trying to bring the two back together. And it works. And we know it works because Onesimus is mentioned two other times in the records that we have present. He's mentioned in Colossians, a letter that was written after this, where it says at the end of the letter to Colossians, he says he is sending Tychicus, my beloved brother, trustworthy minister, and fellow slave in the Lord, together with Onesimus, a trustworthy and beloved brother, who is one of you, as his messenger to the Christians in Colossae. Onesimus is not only restored to a, a right relationship with Philemon, he takes on this role of being a messenger on behalf of Paul to the church in Colossae. That's not all. An early writer named Ignatius, writing in 110 AD, refers to the bishop in Ephesus. And the bishop in Ephesus, one of the larger churches, one of the more important churches, is none other than Onesimus. This individual is not only restored to a right relationship, he becomes one of the leaders, one of the great leaders in the early church, influencing Asia Minor, having a significant role over these churches. God has called us to mediate. God has called us to intervene. And no, it's not easy and, and it's not always safe, but it's worth it. Why? Because the kingdom of God is impacted anytime brothers and sisters find unity, find connection, find restoration. And so we're called to be the instrument that God uses to that end. This morning, as we come to our time of invitation, I want to ask you, first of all, have you found restoration with God? Have you experienced the restoration that Christ mediation brings? Restoring us as formerly enemies with God to being sons and daughters of God. Have you experienced that connection? Have you experienced that renewal, that transformation?
If not, then you have never experienced what you were created for, to have an intimate, amazing relationship with your Creator. Apart from the work of Christ, apart from the surrender that Christ has called you to, that's not possible. We invite you to that this morning. But to my brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to look out for ways that you might be mediators. Mediators between broken relationships, but also mediators that are sharing the message of Jesus Christ, the power of what it can do to a life that's broken, that's ruined, that's damaged. God has called us to make disciples. Jesus has commanded us to make disciples. It must be a part of who we are, how we express ourselves. God is calling us to surrender today to do just that, to get connected to what he's doing in our midst, to see what he wants to do in this community, in this state, in this country, on this planet. We need to commit ourselves to that journey this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person here. Thank you for the work you're doing in our midst for how you're moving in our church and well beyond our capacities and our abilities. God, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here who does not have a relationship with you, that you would draw them in your grace and that they would respond in faith. God, I pray for uh, my brothers and sisters, for myself this morning, that you would help us to, to be mindful of our call, of the challenge to be mediators to see people's relationships restored, to see people's relationship restored to you. God, help us to, to go about it in a way that's driven by grace and not judgment. It's driven by love and forgiveness and not uh, arrogance or self-centeredness. God, help us to be the people you called us to be. God, if there are other decisions that need to be made here this morning, united with our church or or surrendering to ministry, or surrendering to a, a call to missions, or whatever it is, God, that you're doing in people's hearts here this morning. We pray that you would move, and that we would be responsive to that. We thank you, and we praise you for your goodness. In Christ's name I pray.